Welcome back, everybody. Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 90. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, co-conspirator, partner in crime, Austin Loop. Austin, how you doing? I'm doing excellent. How about yourself, sir? Doing very well. Very well. Leg hurts, but otherwise, doing fine. So, very, very fast housekeeping. Two things are happening right now. One, it is raining outside. Uh, and, and lightning and thundering. We got so some if you thunder, hear yeah. some thunder in the background, that's what's going on. It is not our normal recording day. It is Wednesday night. So we are quickly recording and editing. So in fact, when you hear this on Thursday, we have recorded it less than 24 hours ago. Last night. So, which is kind of not normal. So right. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, other thing, because it is raining and because it is thundering outside, my dogs are staying inside, uh, which means you will hear them chewing on their bones and it's gross. And here we are. Uh, we are not a professional podcast. We never claim to be. So deal with it. Maybe at some point. <laughs> so because I need to edit this tonight and because I need to uh, go to bed at a relatively decent hour, we're just going to dive right in to First Timothy 3. I believe we stopped at not quarrelsome. So we need to start with not a lover of money, which is the tail end of verse 3. Does that sound right to you? Nope. We no. did not even get to verse 3. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 3, <laughs> and we're just going to go, honestly, recording time for about an hour, and just where we end in an hour is where we're going to probably stop. Exactly. And and that's kind of how it's going to be. So it might be a shorter episode because of the editing, but we're going to record for about an hour, stop there, and see what happens. So that's let's good. just dive right into it. First Timothy 3, verse 3, Austin, get us started. So I'm going to give us some context. I'll read verse 1 through 7. Perfect. Okay. So again, First Timothy chapter 3, qualifications for overseers, but also for deacons. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. All right, so going back to verse 3, not a drunkard. And let's real quick let you know if you need if you want to catch up on 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, we did that on episode 87. So we did that on episode 87 two episodes ago, well, three episodes ago I guess technically. So anyway, that is kind of where we are with that. So yeah, verse 3, not a drunkard, action. All right, action. <laughs> we in this is something we talk about a lot. Kind of hit, hit, hit and miss here and there. Maybe we'll do a, a whole episode kind of extrapolating. But talking about alcohol. And we, we again, we touched on it about what are our views of alcohol versus what does Scripture say. But looking at someone who is leading a congregation, someone who is pastoring and shepherding, and the elders, you know, how are they supposed to treat alcohol? We, we both agree that it is very okay for a pastor to <clears throat> sit down, have a glass of wine, have some beer, have, have some bourbon, whatever it may be. But, and again, not biblical, but our view is not to do it outside of your home. Right. 
at, for a pastor to go out into a bar or go to a restaurant and order a, a glass of whatever it may be. And and we talked, we hit on that last or on this last episode where right. we did. We talked about how that kind of goes with above approach, exactly because. People, you know, see you with a beer, see you with a, a bourbon in a bar, especially at a bar. Yeah. Maybe a lit, I don't know, maybe a little different at a fancy restaurant. I don't know. Still maybe not the wisest thing in the world to do. But it can give people pause. Yeah. It can ma- cause them to ask questions that are just not necessary. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a good rule of thumb. Like Austin said, it's not necessarily found in scripture. Right. But just as a good rule of thumb, hey, maybe not out in public. Right. It's keeping you above reproach. So skipping to uh, verse 7, where it says, well thought of by outsiders. For someone who is outside the faith, but who know who you are, you know, your pastor of the local church or the church in the other town, um, they're able to, to see you and think well of you. So that, that kind of protects you, but also protects other people and it protects your congregation. But what does it say? Verse 3, it says, not a drunkard. And what this means is not becoming drunk. And not being constantly drunk. Right. An alcoholic. Exactly. I mean, honestly, yeah. just boil it down to not not an alcoholic. Yes. Not someone who overindulges. Mm-hmm. Not someone who has a problem. Yeah. And, and for those of you maybe listening who have had alcoholism as an issue, that doesn't... Alcoholism in itself won't disqualify you. It's This is your current state of being. Yeah. You, alcoholic, uh, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but an alcoholic in, in the past... Before you're a pastor, before you came to Christ, okay. Like, I think you're okay because you have, by the grace of God, you have kind of controlled that. You've been able to right. not drink. And yeah, you I, don't drink. Yeah, I guess it would determine on, do you believe once a, what is it called? I don't, I don't want to say an addict, but... Once an alcoholic. Once an alcoholic, alcoholic, always an alcoholic, alcoholic. As in, again, not limiting God, as in someone could come to know Christ and completely surrender, and that's no longer an issue. But I I guess just from everything I've seen and I've heard, it's once they were an alcoholic, they they have to stay away from it. As in, they don't even touch it at all. Which, in this case, stay away from it. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. yeah, For sure. But I mean, literally just go the verse beforehand in verse 2, self-control. Exactly. Exactly what I was thinking. If you are getting drunk, it's because you have no self-control, and therefore you're disqualified anyway. You're not qualified for this position. And so being self-controlled, knowing your limits, and again, try not to go too too far into it, but if your limit is eight beers, you can drink eight of them at a time and you're still good, that's, that's, that's actually not a good thing. Right. Just because you have conditioned your body to be resilient to drink eight, that is, that's not a good thing. To at, for for like a for me a six foot two hundred pound guy to drink one or two I'm good but if I drink more than that I it's not good and therefore my self control is out yeah once I pass for me uh, it, it, I mean it is you, you do need to know your self your limits and know your self control yeah and, and yeah it is legitimately for for me when I have a, a glass of bourbon or, or a beer it's nine times out of ten two and that's it yeah and and the times. That it's gone above two uh, is typically a time where I have to repent. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's very rare. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not like an, a problem by any means. But you know, we we all have made mistakes in our yeah. life, and 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 you know. But yeah, so it is. It is being able to do so. 
to practice the self control over your drinking. Yeah, and <laughs> and if you're and you know what, and I'm gonna say this too, real quick. If if your conviction as a pastor or as a Christian in general is absolutely not no alcohol, period, I'm for it. Oh yeah, stay away. Like, like just be careful. Don't when as you Paul start, talks about when you start passing judgment and yes. start kind of looking down on people who say, you know what, in Christ and as a, as a free believer as a, as a as a free man in christ free woman in christ i can have a glass of wine mm-hmm. i can have a, a a a pour of bourbon then then yeah you're, you don't look down on that person because they're between them and god they're they're okay but yes if your conviction is no alcohol at all I, i'm all for it i mean yeah. no, there's no harm in that yeah one of the stories i like to point to whenever this topic comes up is uh noah when noah in the flood we rec- actually brought this one up I oh think, i did on, on that episode yeah do I want to talk about it? Yeah, you know, why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> Everyone likes to Very point quick. to Noah as a drunkard. I'm like, N- no, no, he wasn't. If anybody knows anything about home brewing, okay, I, I brew mead, or maybe it's brewing. Yeah, it's whatever. Uh, if you make wine, unless you have the actual equipment to measure the gravity of the alcohol content, you don't know. And as of what it says about Noah, is he made a new batch of wine and he drank a little bit more than he was supposed to and he passed out. But never once does it talk about it is sin and it, instead who is cursed. Well, his son is cursed. Right. Noah curses his son and nowhere else does it talk about him doing it continually. Exactly. This was a this was a one-time deal. One-time accidental yes. not a pattern of behavior. Exactly. Not a self-control issue. Right. So this is talking about Continually getting drunk, being a drunkard, as in this is a normal thing. So you cannot do this if you are a pastor or an elder. Granted, I would take it step further of qualifications for overseer and elder, yes, but they're qualifications for men. Men are not to be drunkards. Yeah, correct. In what situation have you ever ran across someone who is an alcoholic or who is someone who gets drunk on a regular basis and looked to yourself and been like, hmm, I want to be more like that guy. Oh, that guy's fine. Yeah, everything's <laughs> fine. You know, I want to be just like him, or I need to... Li- no. Even even outside of the context of the church and outside of Christians, those people, people roll your eyes at them. Yeah. It's like, come on. Again, like, really? What do you mean, those people? <laughs> those people. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, so, okay. So what I meant, Austin. Jeez, no. <laughs> Not violent, but gentle. All right, we'll stop right here. So, having this conversation of what a man is supposed to be, what what a man is supposed to do. And, all right, in this context, the pastor and the elder and men are not supposed to be violent people. As in, and, and as we get further on, we'll, we'll be able to read a few more things. But going back to respectable, hospitable, but not violent and gentle. I want us to be careful of what this is not saying. And what this is not saying is not capable of violence or, or not a protector or not exactly yeah um my my view scripturally is men are supposed to be capable of extreme violence not and again not violent as in we are always constantly violent always constantly wanting to fight uh, and again it gets into quarreling and, and having a a, a temper that exactly is easily angered and, yeah and being yeah. mad and again, being violent to other people all the time. That's what this is talking about. They are not to be 
continually violent, just like we were talking about a drunkard, continually drunk. And as they are not continually violent, but they are supposed to be gentle. In our immodesty part one, talking about how a man is supposed to be able to, when he gets home, he puts his sword and shield down with his calloused hands, be able to pick up his little girl and love on his little girl and be gentle with her. As you bend down and pick up a flower and without squishing it, to gently pick up that flower. A man is meant for both, for peace and for war. And so these men are supposed to be capable of extreme violence. And and I, I, I go into both the spiritual aspect and the, the physical of if someone is to come into your church and say it's an active shooter situation, whatever, for guys that's like, what guy has not sat down at any point of his life in a church and be like, all right, what would happen if an active shooter came in? I'd do it in movies. I'd do it everywhere. Exactly. I'd do it everywhere. Exactly. It, it's a yeah. guy thing. We do that. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the first people to stand up and be ready to fight is the shepherd. The shepherd and the fellow shepherds, as in the elders, they're the ones that should be ready. Within an instant, someone comes in, they're the ones on them. Again, going back to looking at what are they supposed to symbolize? A, a shepherd, a shepherd of a flock. What happens Protects. when a wolf shows up? Well, what did David do? He killed bears and he killed lions. That's what these men are supposed to be doing. Granted, I'm a big proponent for concealed carry and well, open carry because that's our constitutional right, but it's whatever. Well, and, and I, I think too, I've heard the argument from people, especially your more left-leaning Christians who say, well... As, as a Christian man, you shouldn't have a gun and you shouldn't be willing to shoot somebody or, or fight. And I'm like, no, that, that's not... Again, look at what, look at what we're called. We're called shepherds. As, as, as husbands and as fathers, we're the shepherds of our family. Yeah. And what do they do? They protect their family at all costs. Yeah. They protect their family at risk of their own detriment. Yes. And so when I was a foster parent, I, I really did. I, I, this thought came into my mind so much. Like if somebody were to break into my house, in my mind, in that moment, it is him versus my family, and I'll be damned if it's my family that gets caught out in this, right? Yeah. So, like, I am going to do everything in my power to protect my family. Yeah. And and, and that includes using deadly force if necessary. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But it is. It is a heart issue when it comes to what it's talking about here in First Timothy. Yes. It is, are you prone to anger mm -hmm. are you prone to violent outbursts is your fuse really short yeah not that you're not an intense person not that you're not able to be angry and 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 be rageful a little bit because i think there's a time for that when it's necessary yes but are you known as someone who loses their temper really fast yeah. are you known as someone who flies off the handle at the drop of a hat ruled by your emotions and in this case in this specific instance the emotion of anger. Yes. Are you ruled by that emotion? Mm -hmm. If you are and you have not, by the grace of God, gotten that under control, you are not qualified. Right. Yeah. And again, what does scripture say? It says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. And to and again, going back to self-control, you have to have self-control. That's literally why in Titus, the job of the older men in the church are to teach the younger men self-control. The older women are to teach the younger women self-control. It is so important because from self-control flows everything else. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. This goes along with it. 
are you a quarrelsome man? Mm. Okay, not not angry and violent, but you are constantly quarreling with people. And this isn't even talking about debate, okay? Right. I Like, say you're a debater, whatever. But are you constantly picking fights? Are you constantly trying to get reactions out of people? Are you quarreling with people all of the time? Those are questions you need to ask. Do you have the self-control to be able to say, I know if I bring this up, this is going to be the result. So I'm not going to do that. This speaks to unity within the church body as well. Hmm. Because if you are a quarrelsome pastor or elder, overseer. Oh gosh, I can't, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and this was kind of your thing. You thrive on starting fights and picking arguments. And, and not only that, you, you kind of thrive on, on sowing division. Yeah. And, and you look for, for fights to pick, for causes to make you angry and mm-hmm. for you to die on this hill, things that aren't important necessarily. And you're willing to make, ang- make anyone angry who doesn't like it. And again, it's talking about things that are not worth fighting over, right? I mean, you, you see church splits over, and it sounds so cliche and dumb, but it happens. The color of the carpet when they redo the sanctuary. Yeah. You see church splits over what ply toilet paper they have in the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. People get angry. And if you are a quarrelsome pastor or elder, you don't squash those issues. You add fuel to them. Exactly. And, and that's the issue. And, and it's spreading disunity. That's the picture that comes to my mind immediately. Yeah. Is you are someone who likes to spread disunity. And if you are an elder or a pastor and you are that person and you are the one that wants to spread disunity or enjoys it or thrives on the chaos of that, you're not qualified. Exactly. And so the, the Greek word for it is amakos or abstaining from fighting, peaceable, abstaining from fighting, not contentious. You are not a contentious person, and you're peaceable. It goes back to not violent. It kind of builds on that a little bit. It's not only are you not violent, you're also you have a you have patience. You have a long fuse. You're not yeah. You're not Slow flying off the handle at anything, and you're not fighting over everything, right? Yeah. You're able to stay sober minded. You're able to stay self controlled. They all build on each other. They're, they're all encompassing. I think this list. They all go hand in hand. Because self-control can also, controlling your emotions, yeah, controlling how you react to situations. When Joe Schmo comes up to you and says, I am very upset with you right now, and you're like, okay, what's going on? Talk to me. What, what happened? What's going on? You said this, and I just took it very personal. Are you the type of person that's going to get real defensive, get your haggles, but you know what? You're being really dumb right now, and like get aggressive and angry with them, yeah. or are you one that can say, you know what? I'm going to stand by what I said. Yeah. Let's explore why that upsets you. Like how are yeah. you how are you reacting to those moments because people are petty, right? Yeah. We are petty people. Oh, I yeah. get mad over dumb stuff. <laughs> I think Austin and I talked about that before we started recording. Like I'm mad about something that's really dumb to be mad at. Well, for my reason is dumb to be mad about. I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. maybe if I had a different reason for why I was upset, maybe that'd be different. Mm. But no, the reason why I'm upset is dumb. Yeah. And it's like I have to work through that and figure that out. Right. So as Austin, if he's a quarrelsome person or he is a violent person, mm-hmm. he's going to stoke those embers in me oh, yeah. and say, yeah, you should be upset right now. Oh, yeah. You should be mad at this person. Yep. You should do this. He's not, though. He's like, okay, the reason why you're mad is probably not valid. So The let's... question is, why are you mad? Exactly. And, I and, don't know. <laughs> right. And so it's like, let's work through it. Yeah. He's trying to work. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, yeah. where I'm mad over something that might be a little petty. 
let's let's explore that, figure that out, and let me deal with it, and yeah. not outburst and Austin not stoke that fire exactly. and make it worse. Yeah. I, another good example, which this is just prevalent of, okay, say you have two different types of theology. And one of the big ones is election versus free will. And it's like, okay, you start you start having a discussion with someone with the opposite theology. How does that conversation go? With one, yourself, or to the other person? Yeah. And is your aggravation, your anger, your quarrelsome flare up super quick? And are you even able to have a real conversation about it? And that is something you need to repent and be able to step back a bit and be like, okay, why am I angry? Right. And and again, those are good questions That's key. To ask. Why am I angry? Yes. And, and not stoking that. Exactly. Back, sure. All right, next thing, not a lover of money. This one feels relatively self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. You're not ruled by money. <coughs> Joel Osteen. <coughs> Benny Hinn. <coughs> <laughs> well, okay, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Mm-hmm. So commonly... It, misinterpreted, that, misinterpreted, misquoted. misquoted. It says most people say money is the root of all evil. It's like, well, no, that's not true. It is a root of all kinds of evil, and it's not even money. It's the love, the of love money. of money, exactly. Yeah. In Deuteronomy, it talks about how money is a gift from God. It is a blessing, but if you love the money, it becomes an idol, and exactly. therefore have no other idols before me. Money therefore becomes an idol. So, <laughs> yes, for. For an elder and a pastor, I, you know what, I would not even go as far as to say an elder and a pastor should be the super, like, you should look at them and and notice they don't make any money at all. Of course. And how they're supposed to be so humble in the the money that they receive from the church. I'm like, no, I, I am of the mindset, and I totally agree, that the pastor should be paid well. As in, he is putting in the time and effort into studying and he has put in that time and effort away from his family to pour into this congregation and the congregation should pay him well for that it's not a nine to five monday through friday gig it's a 24 7 job it is a 24 7 job yes and and, you know you look at (laughs) you look at the presidents throughout the years with Mm -hmm. maybe the exception of trump but you look at the president throughout the years and you look at them on their first inauguration day yes and the day they leave office, whether that's in four years or eight years, most of the time in America it's eight years, or at least in recent history it's mm-hmm. been eight years. Look at the difference and how just their appearance. Oh, yeah. I can imagine it is a very similar thing with pastors. Yes. Because it is. It is a 24-7 job. Our pastor, I believe, takes Mondays off. I, I believe mm. pastor at Lanesville takes Mondays off, I think. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But I do think he takes Mondays off, but like you know... He is doing like he is thinking about the church. Oh yeah. He is thinking about his next sermon whether he should be or not that's a different conversation but yeah. like he's dealing with maybe something with one of the people that go to the church like right. he's not really off. Exactly. And I don't think any pastor that is worth his salt his salt and <laughs> and worth the money they get paid yeah. is like that. Yeah. And this gets into okay say you have okay like like our church it's it's not very big. How many people do you think is there like 200? 150? Between two, between two and three, I would think, if you count everybody. Everybody, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. If you have a pastor showing up in a Cadillac or in a, well, I was going to say Maserati, but that's just, 
that should be way too much. That should be way too much. <laughs> but anyway, you like it's it's very visible. This flashy, this, very flashy. Yeah. Yes, they are meant to be humble. Okay, but that doesn't mean that they have to drive a 1962 VW Bug that is being held together with duct tape, <laughs> spit, and number two pencils. Right. Uh, so to to stipend him well, to pay him well, so that he is able to get a good, reliable car. His wife is to have a good, reliable car to to peck around their, God willing, a bunch of children. Yeah. But yeah. And to provide for his family. Exactly. I mean, he, he is. Pro- yeah, he's providing yeah. for his family. And so what this what this doesn't say is, like you said, the pastor is poor. Ex- right. What this does say is the pastor is not driven by a desire for wealth. Yes. Yes. And and that is where. It, that's where we see a lot of these mega church pastors fall. And yeah. that's where we see a lot of them fail. <laughs> and, and and I've named names and I'll yeah. keep naming names because there are these people that they're in public. They're in, well. they're out there in public and they're I, I, I this was a few months ago on on a radio show I listened to played a clip from this pastor I want to say in Alabama, could be wrong, it was somewhere in the south though. Yeah. And he was berating, I mean berating his church and the members of his church for not giving enough to buy him a brand new watch, a very expensive watch. Like he was going off on his congregation saying, "Why aren't you buying me this watch?" Interesting. That's not a that's not a qualified pastor. No. No. Because you lover can tell he is a sure. lover of money and a yeah. lover of flashy things. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it I, mean, I do think it's self-explanatory. It's it's you do not need to be driven mm-hmm. solely by money. Yeah. And again, pastors are not to be rich when it comes to money they they should be they should be okay they they should be able to have things paid for to be able to afford to buy their their children clothes and shoes to adorn their wife in respectable apparel yeah just the love of money is not a good thing that's what it is It's, it's the love of money and it's the desire to be wealthy that drives them and and if you want to be a millionaire you are not to become a pastor and, or and unless you want to do real estate on the side. <laughs> also true. Also true. Yeah. So, anyway. So, that lover of money. number Verse 4. We're moving right along, guys. Oh, here we go. <laughs> but here's the one. Verse 4 and 5. 4 and 5. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Austin, I have just a sneaking suspicion that you have some thoughts here. I do. That is not what I meant to do. All right, here we go. Austin. Are you watching a game? I will keep an eye on the score. Oh, my Keep an eye on the score. You stop it. This man. Austin, you have, I'm sure, (laughs) very... If it affects me doing this, I will stop. It's not going to. Oh, man. Anyway, Austin. Okay. Yes, yes, I do. So I'll tell you what. I'm just going to extrapolate as I go through the verse. Yeah. So he must manage his own household well. He must have a household. Okay, this this is not meaning just a house, as in you walk into your pastor's house and be like, wow, it's super clean. Wow, everything's <laughs> organized. That's not the management of the house. Yeah. The management of the house is the people inside the house. Now, my understanding of Scripture and my belief is that to be a pastor, and I... Elders too, but more specifically a pastor, you have to have children. The reason being is, carrying on, 
with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then he gives the reason why. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So a common argument is talking about the wife of, okay, you don't have to have children. You just have to have a a wife. You have to be married at least, which we'll get into another argument later. But (laughs) you have to have a wife. And so this this goes to show, well, you just have to manage your, your wife well. I'm like, okay, but what does it say? What, what does the Bible say? It says, keeping his children submissive. It's talking about children. It's not talking about the wife. Right. Now, yes, managing the household, the wife is a part of that. But scripture calls the wife the, the oikodespot, or as in the leader of the management of the house, as in the actual inner workings of the home. Some people call their wife their, their most trusted deputy. I like that one. But you have to have children. And again, the reason being in verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? So if you have a, say you have a pastor with five children, and we we talked about it last time. We did. Where the the two-year-old in the nursery, everyone's nicknamed the demon child, and all the way up to the 16-year-old boy who's... Already gotten a, a girl pregnant. <laughs> Smoking pot behind the church yeah. during service. <laughs> yeah. Already gotten one to three of the youth group girls pregnant, whatever yeah. it may be. This is a man that does not keep his household managed well. He does not, his children are not submissive. Okay. And that, like, this gets into a lot of things, which we'll, we'll get into as we go. But you are showing everyone in the church that you are qualified and you're capable of leading and shepherding them. You're not just there to stand up on the pulpit on Sunday and give a message, and then that's it. Because that's that's preaching, which is an important tool, yes. But Able you're the to teach shepherd. is one of the qualifications. Exactly. So. But you're a shepherd. You are shepherding them, as in you're coming yeah. along next to them, looking at them and their children, saying, okay, your children are not being submissive. This is how to do that. Right. Your wife is not being submissive. This is how you take care of that. And having a wife that is submissive as a pastor, having children who are submissive as a pastor, you're showing the rest of the congregation that you are equipped and well prepared to help them, again, shepherding them, guiding them through their walk with Christ and in through the, the scriptures, how to best react with their wife, as uh, Peter says, living with your wife with understanding, Um, how to raise your children as uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse four in raising your children in, in the, uh... well, while you're looking at that, let me ask you this question, because we talked about in verse two, we talked about, can a single man be a pastor? Discipline and instruction. Discipline Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay. So we we talked about that and you kind of won me over. On uh, by just logic, yeah. just by using the logic, because again, something I've never thought about because it's something I've never had to address. Because every yeah. every pastor I've ever sat under has been married, right? So that's never been an issue that I've had to deal with head on. So not probably not just not something I thought about. And you kind of won me over on that because you you we laid it out logically, yeah. And and so let's move down to children. Okay, so let me give you a hypothetical situation here because I, I think this is probably pretty common. You have a seminary student who just graduated Mm -hmm. from maybe his MDiv, maybe his bachelor's, but most likely his MDiv, 24, 23, 24 years old. His goal is to become a pastor. 
let's just for the sake of this argument say he is married. Yeah. His his wife is 22 and he's 24. And they've been married for a year, but they don't have a child yet. Now maybe they're trying, maybe they have plans in the future for children, but they don't have a child yet. Right. Can he be a pastor or does he have to wait until he has a child to show that he can control that child? I mean, this brings up infertility issues, issues of right. of maybe that maybe he can't get her pregnant, she can't get pregnant, whatever. Doesn't matter. Like right. that's maybe that's what they're dealing with. Maybe they just haven't had. Maybe they just haven't had a kid yet. I don't. We don't know. Right. But let's put that out there. What? How do we kind of navigate that? Yes. And I, my again, understanding scripture, my belief is the, the answer would be no. Uh, married. Okay. He he has a wife. Being able to show that submissiveness, but not having children, again, what does it say? Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Um, If he does not have children, he can't show that. And so, okay, they're married. He can't shepherd the church. That doesn't mean he can't teach. That doesn't mean he can't do other roles. But he cannot take the authority of say, lead pastor over that church. Now, say they get pregnant, okay? There's a baby in the womb. He's a father. I would say then, yes, then there there will be time before that baby, you know, comes to fruition and is able to show people. But then say that baby dies. Okay, then what? Either uh, in the womb where the baby is born and then uh, a year later dies or whatever. There is too many what-ifs and there are too too many variables here um there are there are a ton of them so i'm just kind of guess thinking over kind of larger my 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 belief and my understanding is that if he doesn't have children no if he does have a child and he's in this position but his child dies you're not going to take him out of that position um again he's already been appointed going back to qualifications these qualifications are to appoint these people to appoint these men as the elders, as the pastor. Once they're there, if something happens, like a child dying, now they don't have the the children out to show. Yeah. That's out of their control. That's that's God. So no, I don't believe at that point you say, oh well, now you don't have children, so now you can't be the pastor anymore. So he he would stay there. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm I'm all the way there with you on 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 that when it comes to. I, I think I've gotten there with the marriage. Yeah. I think I'm there. I think I'm good with saying if he's single, maybe he shouldn't be a head pastor. Because yeah. like we talked about, go back to that episode on on the first part of this mm-hmm. where we did. We, t- we, we went just kind of logically through the head of the church is Jesus, the head of the house is the husband. If, the, if there is, how can he lead if he's not leading? Like, exactly. I, I'm kind of there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think I can solidly stand there. I'm not sure, and maybe I would. Maybe it's something as I dig into, I could really get there yeah. when it comes to kids. I just, I just don't know because I, I don't know, and I really do need to do a lot more in depth digging on this, and 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 probably more than I have done, obviously more than I've done so far. But I'm wondering if there is a assumption here that he has kids, and that I don't know. I don't, I don't like to use the word assumption because I don't like assuming things about the scripture. But <laughs> <laughs> well, in the but thing like, is, if if, the, if he has kids, keep them submissive, but manage his household well. So in my mind, initially, just initial thoughts, manages his household well. Okay, he he has he has a wife. 
and they have the proper biblical relationship. Mm-hmm. They don't have kids yet. Okay, so manages household. Okay, he doesn't have copious amounts of debt. So there's that lover of money issue. There's a self control issue yep. where he doesn't have like just bukus of debt. That's unnecessary, right? right. I mean, maybe he has a mortgage, of course. That's fine. Car payment, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. Maybe a small credit card thing. No big deal. Like, that is not an issue for me. But, yeah. like, copious amounts of debt. Like, we're maxing out the credit cards to go on vacation. We're right. we're not, you know, we're borrowing money and not paying it back. Like, right. it's irresponsible with their money. Right. And so I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking of managing the household. Okay, he manages his finances well. Because managing your household encompasses all of this, right? It encompasses... Taking care of your family financially, being frugal, like like you know, Austin. Now we're not getting into specifics, but Austin, I talked about how he manages his household with with the money that he makes, and it it's commendable. Like he does an amazing job with what he has and what God has given him. And so, like I think if it was just him and and, and Emily without the kids, and he's managing his house financially the way he does, and he's frugal, and he's providing for his wife, and he's Moving towards kids, you know, if maybe yeah. he didn't have them yet, I, I don't know if that disqualifies him. So I'm, I'm yeah. not quite there. I don't. I'm yeah. not. I don't think there's like a necessarily a conflict here. I just I'm not yeah. quite there yet. I, yeah. I, I, I do think in my mind there's a world in which, for whatever reason, they don't have kids, but he manages his household well, right? Financially, supporting his wife, his wife supports him, and and that right is there, and that's evident. And you could almost, I, I would think, extrapolate that based on how he treats his wife and based on how his wife treats him, they would be godly parents. Hmm. I, I, maybe that's not right. I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I'm just not quite there yet. Yeah. To say that he has to have kids. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, and for me, I just, what is, what does scripture say? And it, it is talking about children. Um, talking about the house again, not as in. The inner workings of the house, because then you go to Titus 2, whereas what is the woman's job? The woman's job is to keep the home, as in not the the house, as in how things are to be run and managed, but she is to keep the inner workings of the home manageable and keep them going. And so for the man managing his own household and keeping his children submissive, for me, me, it's just there. It's plain. And so... But I will say we definitely agree on this idea that if if you obviously there are some things that are out of your control as a parent. Oh yeah. Right? And and your sixteen year old son having a rebellious streak is not necessarily a reflection on your poor parenting. Uh, at least I don't well again, I don't know. Maybe we don't agree on this. But there's, I there's a lot of what ifs there. There yeah. are a lot of what ifs there. And and you know, I think of I I think of the, the, the music artist Rhett Walker. Have you, have you heard of him? Hmm. So he's a Christian artist. He was in a band called the Rhett Walker Band. Very unique name. Uh, but then he's, he's now just Rhett Walker. And he got his now wife, April, he got her pregnant when they were like 17 and 18 years old or yeah. 16 and 17 years old. I can't remember exactly the, the age. They were unmarried. And his dad's a pastor. Well, obviously, that's a mistake to have sex outside of marriage and get pregnant outside of wedlock. Obviously, that is a sinful. A sin, yeah. That's a sinful thing. Does that action by a sixteen slash seventeen year old Rhett dis- then disqualify his dad, who is a pastor, has been a pastor for years, 20, 30 years, raised him in the church, and Rhett just rebelled or had maybe a moment of we. I don't know the whole story, obviously, but like I wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> but like had. 
a moment of weakness. Right. Does that disqualify then Rhett's dad from being a pastor because right. he got his girlfriend pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if I can get there either right. because I I think well, at some point a couple things here. At 16, 17 years old, he's kind of his own person and, and right. is going to make his own choices. Yeah. And so yeah, we got a couple things here. One, okay, is he you have this this 16, 17-year-old boy? And he's a boy. He's, he's not a, boy, a man. Of course. Um, he's living at home under his father's rule and authority and roof. Um, is this a one-time deal? As in he goes out and it, we, we call it a mistake, as in they were in the heat of the moment. Um, when you when you put a boy and girl together with um, natural things going of on, yeah, yeah, yeah. things are going to happen. That's, yeah. that's the reason why we talk about courting and not being <laughs> and alone. Making sure you... Put boundaries in place. Exactly. Keep, protect we'll, yourself. That's in later episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so was this a one-time deal where they were able to realize what they did? They repented for it, and yes, even though they sinned, God, despite oh. their sin, yeah, gave them they, a child. They've been they've been married ever since that moment. They have four kids of their own. Like, right. They have four kids now, something like that. Like you know, he's been very open about his testimony. Oh, that's yeah. why I'm. Obviously, he's a public figure, but even still, that's why I'm okay talking about because he's very open about his story. Yeah. And yeah, no, they got married before before the, the baby was born, yeah. and they've been married ever since and have, like I said, four kids now. So My thing would be is say, okay, say this happened, and he did not repent. There wasn't just carelessness. Um, he continued to keep sinning while under his father's rule and authority. My answer would be yes. The the as the pastor, it would be his job to step down himself. Now, would the, the would this be a permanent thing? Maybe, maybe not. Would this be a thing? He takes a step down, tries to get his house back into authority and submission. Submission, and if that means his son has to leave and therefore and get his own say. house, yeah, yeah. But the fact that it did not continue in sin, it looked like they did what they were supposed to do. Then no. The, this this man would keep his pastoral position because even though there was sin, the sin was repented on yeah. and it was covered by love yeah. and it wasn't continual. And because you, you're not, the, the scripture in nowhere in, in 1 Timothy 3 can you read into the household is perfect. Right. The kids are without sin. Well, like, why there, do there's... you have to keep your children submissive? Yeah. Because they're rebellious. What does Proverbs say that is in, bound up in the... The heart of a child, foolishness. Yeah. The heart of a child is foolish. There's a reason why he's telling these men to keep your children submissive. And, not and what, that they won't mess up. Exactly. Not that they won't have these issues. This here doesn't and there. mean you're going to walk yeah. in Sunday, see the the pastor's <laughs> children, all ten of them in a row, hands folded, feet crossed, staring straight at the pulpit, never making a peep. No, they're not children. They're robots. And so. Keeping them submissive means, say you have one of the pastor's children start to act up. Instead of getting to the point where everyone looks at the two-year-old as, oh, that's the demon baby. No, you're going to see this pastor stop what he's doing in conversation, whatever it may be. He goes over, he takes his child out, takes them out to the car. situation. (laughs) And he comes back, children, the child might be crying because you know what happened. But the point is, you are seeing this man do his job exactly putting his children into submission and we're not talking about b 
beating the poor out of his children. Right, no, of course. This is putting them into submission, not sparing the rod, because he loves his children. And as they grow, you will see it. You, if this man is doing what the Bible tells him do, to do, raising his children up in the way they should go, when his children get to sixteen, predominantly that the the this thing is not going to happen. Right. The, his children are not going to be labeled demon baby. His boy is not going to be getting one to three <laughs> different girls pregnant. Right. He, because he's teaching them self-control. He's teaching them the things that he's supposed to, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think a lot of this, especially as, well, and, and again, we're getting into hypotheticals. I don't think this is the right for me to go down. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I do think there is a little bit of grace in, in this, in that you see... Like Austin said, he is making the effort to do this. Like th- this yes. is not whatever mistake that teenager makes, whatever mistake their young child makes, mm-hmm. is is not a reflection on the parenting. So like, it will catch people off guard. It'll be like, oh wait a minute, yeah, that doesn't make sense because I know the character of of, of the parent. I know the character of the pastor yeah. and, the, and the family. Like that, this is abnormal. Exactly. This slip up is abnormal. Yeah. And th- and maybe it maybe it's a big slip up, quote unquote. But like you as a congregation and and your 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 sheep of of the flock know, okay, this is despite the good parents exactly, and it's despite the the rules and regulations and submissiveness that he's put into place, right? And th- to me, I think there's a little bit of grace in that because oh, yeah. there. We talk about free will and election, all that stuff, but there is we're sin. We're sinful. We yeah. we sin. We screw up. And as teenagers, we really screw up because we're trying to figure out how to live in this world right. and how to be Christians in this world and urges and hormones and 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 just the as men as as male children wanting to separate from our parents yeah. and be independent. Yeah. We we mess up and we fall. Yeah. But we do that in spite of the good parenting. Right. And Again, we're trying to just stick to what does the Bible say right. instead of getting into too many hypotheticals. Of course, I know. Yeah, well. But I mean, say you have a pastor of six kids, and five of them are are submissive; they're doing what they're supposed to. But you have one black sheep of the family, literally going astray. I don't think that would be grounds for getting rid of the pastor. Um, now, what I, I do believe should happen is that pastor is able to say, "Okay, I'm I'm going to take six months off." Uh, the elders are going to come in, um, fill my position for a little bit. I am going to go get this sheep that has strayed. That's my job. Yeah. And he takes that six months. He goes after his child. He is winning the heart of his child. <coughs> because ultimately, what's the number one priority of the pastor? The family. The family. Oh, yeah. His that's family. His, that's his number one job. Yep. Yes, vocationally, he is a pastor. Yes. Yes, his paycheck comes from the church. But what's his first and foremost? I mean, it's the, there's a reason why it's in these qualifications. Yeah, that's his number one job. Yep, is his wife and kids. So yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent on right. that. Well, sure. and that's it. If you if you see his entire family in shambles, the reason why he's disqualified, and probably the whole church is in shambles as well. Yeah, it, and it's not just his family. It, he's not leading and, the church the way. And I would to. think in that scenario, more often than not. I'm sure there are there are always exceptions, yeah. But more often than not, it's because he flipped the priorities. Exactly, he got to where he being a pastor his and in the ministry became priority number one. Yes, family became priority number two. And I almost think 
probably with the best intentions, the oh, best yeah. of intentions yeah. in those moments. Yeah. But it's still wrong. It's still not the way it should be. Exactly. The priorities got flipped, and he needs to fix that. Yeah. And, and flip those priorities back. Yeah. We've talked about that, of just look at missionaries. Missionaries, in, especially in America, they put so much into their mission of going across seas and getting people the word of God that they neglected their children. Right. And although they might have reached a bunch of people and brought them, brought them the good news and a lot of people came to know Christ, they're their living children in are not. sin. <laughs> their children yeah. are now apostate. Yeah. And the same goes with these pastors. They put so much into the congregation they neglected their their wives and their children. Now their children are apostates and their wives hate them. They're living in sin. Exactly. They are a, because they flipped those priorities. Exactly. And and while probably like like we said, with noble intentions initially, sure. they still the priorities were flipped. Yep. And and it and things are upside down. Yes. And and that's not where it should be. God again, God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder or quarrelsome. And if your calling is to become a pastor and your mindset is, oh, well, then I need to give everything to this. Again, God is not a God of disorder. He calls you to be the father you're supposed to, to die for your wife like and love your wife like Christ loved the church. It does not mean you give up one thing that God has told you to do for another thing that God has told you to do. They are going to work together. Yeah. Now, if you fail, that's your fault. It's not because... God has not made a way for them to happen and for them to work together. It's just because you didn't do it. Right. And so <laughs> getting getting through that, yeah. my my belief is that, yes, to be a pastor, you need to have children because it shows the rest of the congregation that you are able to take care of them as well. Right. But, of course, this getting into elders, this gets a little bit different. As though, even though a pastor is an elder, not all of the elders are pastors. Right. Uh, they're, again, it's a different subset. But <laughs> but the, the basic same premise is there as well. Now, say you have an elder in the faith that his children are no longer in the house. You know, they're out having their own children. Things are a little bit different. Does that mean they're disqualified? Well, no, I, I don't believe so. Right. I don't think so either. No, because on that. They, they have children. Yeah. Now, well, and, and on top of that, like, once they leave the home... They're no longer in your household. Correct. And their accountability as far as submissiveness is to God. That's on theirs. Yep. And not their and yes, we are as as adults to honor our father and mother. That that is that never ends. Yeah. But we are once you are outside of your father's roof. There's no longer obedience. Exactly. It's it's honoring. Yeah. It's but honoring but not yeah. obedience and, and that becomes a you and God issue. Yes. In that moment. And and so yeah, I think you're right. I think once they're they're adult children and if that adult child goes astray, I don't think that disqualifies the elder or the pastor. Right. So let's move move on quickly. I think what time yeah, we got? we're at fifty seven minutes. Let's do verse six. Yeah. Let's do verse six because I think this one's pretty pretty somewhat easy to get through, I th- I would yeah. think. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I love this one. Yes. Because you see this a lot. A lot. You, and not even not necessarily just with a pastor, but just with someone in leadership in the church in general. Yep. Someone who is is a convert, maybe, maybe a few months into this whole Christianity thing. They're on fire. You see fruit. They are on fire. You see a change. Mm-hmm. Like, it's legit. Like, you believe it. You're there. You're with them. 
Yes. Let's throw him up on pulpit and let him teach. Let's throw him in a classroom and let him teach. Let's yes. throw him in eldership role. Okay. They're a few months into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like they're on the milk. Oh yeah. They're on the milk. Yeah. They are. They are. They are still learning the gospel. Oh yeah. They're still learning the salvation message and their place as a you know having that right view of God and the right view of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they're still learning that and figuring that out. They're not digging into these deep theological issues. They're not div- diving into these the, the the things you have to chew on and let marinate and let let sit and let ferment. They're on the milk. Oh yeah. You cannot put them in leadership yet. You got to see long lasting fruit. Yeah. And you got to see spiritual maturity because, like it says, they'll they'll what it, uh, become puffed up with conceit. That I have seen that multiple times. I oh think yeah. We've seen that within our own church body and not to throw any jabs or anything, but we've seen it where someone gets kind of thrust into this leadership role without too early, not without, but like too early. And they kind of become arrogant. Like, Oh man, I must be doing something right. I'm pretty awesome. If I've only been here this long or I'm this young and I'm this in this kind of role. Exactly. And it's like, you pray that God humbles them, but like, are we really doing them any favors by putting them in that role? Exactly. Well, and what is the condemnation of the devil? Pride. Pride, yeah. And it gets into the the weeds of talking about, okay, so what is the point of you are now past a novice versus you're still in the novice stage? And there's no real answer to that. It goes back to fruit. It goes back to being able to look at someone and being like, okay, yes, you have the knowledge, but there's no wisdom in your knowledge. Yes, you have some wisdom, but you don't have the knowledge... To actually teach or to lead. Because the experience. Again, we're talking about pastors, shepherds, and we're talking about elders. Okay. Say, okay, let's take the elders first, first and foremost. This is not predominantly talking about old men. In in the Jewish tradition, it would be. Whenever they looked at elders, it was the elder of the tribe. The the oldest who has gone through the most life, who has the most wisdom. And they're able to instruct the younger on the things that they have been through and they've seen and they know through the scriptures. But this isn't necessarily talking about that. This is talking about spiritual wisdom, as in maturity. As in you have been in the faith long enough to be considered an an elder in the faith. And again, you can be a pastor at a very early age, again, not being a novice, but you could, you could be a pastor in your, your 20s, of having your, your family and teaching the Word of God, but you're also considered an elder. You're part of that elder group. Right. And so there there is a point where, yeah, you're not talking about how many years has someone known the Lord, but if you have someone who's an elder, that their knowledge of Scripture is, is not really up to par. Sure, they know some, but when someone comes to them with a question— or when someone comes with an issue, if they're not able to go to Scripture and say, okay, Scripture says this, and this is exactly where it is, they don't know their Bible, yeah. they don't know the application for that, I would say that they're a novice, and that yeah. they are they are not this long in the faith. This isn't a situation, this is not a situation like where my main, my, my current job, my main job where I can just kind of fake my way through right. helping out our customers. Right. Right. Because I can do that. I Google things. I say, oh, yeah, that should work. And, like, yeah. 
I can fake it. I can sell. That's not what this is. Like, I don't know construction stuff, but I sell stuff for it. So, like, I pretend I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not what this. You can't yes. do that here. Yeah. It, it becomes very evident very quickly in my job when I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. Exactly. Because the customer will start asking me deeper questions. I'm like, I have no clue. Yeah. And so it's like, take that to, to the church and you go to an elder or you go to the pastor and you come up with a question. Now, maybe it is something they don't know off the top of their head. Maybe it's yeah. something they need to research. Yeah. But that, and that's okay. Cause we're not going to know the full scripture, Everything. this side of heaven. Like yeah. we're just not, we're not going to, but it becomes very clear, very quick. Yeah. If the pastor or the elder doesn't have a clue what they're talking about, and they're making it up as they go. Well, and their understanding of the scripture is just so shallow. Yeah. That sure they can spout off a few things here and there, but but when you start pressing and you start oh, kind of yeah. trying to dig a little deeper, you're like, oh, maybe this person doesn't know what's going. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it is. It it's it is not necessarily how many years have you been a Christian. There's a set number. Right. It is a. Have you dug into the word? Have you done your due diligence? Have yeah. you gone through things as a Christian, right? Yeah. Are you swayed by the winds of the exactly. world, right? Are, Does your doctrine change every six months? Exactly. Yeah. And that is what this is getting at. Yes. Someone who who is new in their faith, who, who whose doctrine can be changed at the drop of a hat because yeah. someone made a point that sounded good. Yeah. Yes, it, that's deconstruction, right? It, exactly, yeah. Uh, it, because someone came up with something that sounds nice, sounds pretty, sounds fluffy, sounds socially acceptable, mm-hmm. does that radically change your faith? A good litmus test would be, do they have a defense for what they believe, right. for the hope that's within them? Right. Are you able to go to them with, say, you have a different theology, a different doctrine, and you say, okay, you believe this, I believe this. Give me your defense for it. And if they can't, or if they say, well, I, I got to get back to you because I actually haven't really done much research. He's he's pretty recent. Yeah. And and for me, I, I would. Okay, say you go, you have someone who has been a Christian for a few years. Um, say they've been a Christian for five. Five years, but they've been in deep script, like deep study, deep study. Um, again, it would go to fruit. Exactly. And m- maybe, again, that, that would be, that, that would be God. If, if a man who came to know the Lord and within five years was able to get to the point where he could shepherd a, a church, that would be the grace of God and God wants him there. Yeah. Um, but predominantly, my answer would probably be no. Yeah, it is. It, it boils down to fruit. It boils down yeah. to, to, to milk over meat. Yeah. Or, well, no, meat over milk. Meat Sorry. Over milk. Meat over milk. And it, don't boil them in one another. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so Not kosher. absolutely, like it's it is it is it is about you, you want someone up there who has been through stuff too has 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 withstood t- the testing of their faith, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I I can't tell how many times I've I've known people who become a Christian in this dramatic fashion and emotional fashion, yeah. but then as soon as something happens that like shakes that a little bit, which by the way it will quickly. <laughs> Scripture says it will. They fall apart. Yeah. You don't want that person. Yeah. Right? You don't want that person to be an elder or a pastor. If, if, if heaven forbid, something happens to, to our pastor's wife or mm-hmm. one of his kids, that would be, I mean, that would be awful. And, and we would mourn, and, and the pastor would mourn, and we mm-hmm. would want him to take time off and, and grieve and, and, and deal oh, with yeah. the loss. Yeah. But the question becomes, 
is he solid enough? In it? And we probably don't know this answer until something happens. Exactly. Is he solid enough in his faith where, where we are confident that his faith will still remain intact? Oh, yeah. Now, we might be confident and then be proven wrong, but that's that's a different conversation. Right. But if something were to happen, do we have confidence that, yes, our pastor is going to grieve? He's going to question. He's going to have questions. He's going to not understand why this happened. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, is he going to put his faith in God? And if we as a as a congregation can can confidently say yes, I think that shows that he has some of that maturity and that fruit right. that we've seen just being under him as a pastor. Right. Okay. So I have a question. Okay. Say you have a, a younger man who is shepherding a flock, young family. Do you believe that since he hasn't gone through a lot of turmoil, say he hasn't gone through the death of a child. He hasn't gone through the death of a parent yet. He's might, might have seen death here and there, sure, right. but no, no very, very close, deep connection to it. Do you believe that he is still able to sufficiently lead the rest of his congregation through things like that? I, I, I lean. I, I, my initial thought is yes, as long as he has that understanding of scripture. Yeah. As long as he is on the meat of scripture and not just a, on the milk of, of the gospel. Like he has a deep understanding, a deep knowledge. I would almost argue some training in that too from other biblical mm. people who have poured into him, whether that is at a collegiate or master's level or, or whether that's just from being an, I don't know, an intern. I don't know. But like as long as he, I, I do think so. I, I do think now when you've been there before, I, I'm sure it's easier. I'm sure it's easier to, to lead someone through something that you've been through before. Of course it is. But no, I, I do think he can with, obviously, the help of the Holy Spirit, the help of, of, of his faith and his knowledge of Scripture and his, his Holy Spirit living inside of him. I, I do believe he can. I, I agree. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the Word of God. When Scripture speaks on something, whoever is teaching it, they have the authority and the power to speak on those things. Now, say you, you have the death of a child. You might not have gone through it, but you can go to Scripture and say, okay, what does Scripture say? Uh, what does Scripture say about loss, grieving? What does Scripture say about joy, about weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice? Yeah. As, a, as a young man myself, and praise God, I've never lost a child. I, I can't even imagine what that is like. But to be able to go to someone, say if I were to become a pastor, to be able to comfort them and love on them, weep with them, but to be able to comfort them through the word of God, uh, to be able to go to a wife or, or a husband that has lost their spouse and, you know, to say, I, I don't know what this feels like, but I know what scripture says about it. Right. And this is what scripture says. And, and again, that is something that goes along with the gentleness, right? Yes, that goes exactly. along with the hospitable. That exactly. goes along with all of these things of being able to be sensitive in these moments. Yeah. And 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 so obviously you're not going to necessarily know what to say or or but this is my issue with especially modern day, but this is my issue with seminaries. Seminary is very good at teaching you knowledge and teaching you how to preach. But it is not good and I would even say they don't teach you how to pastor. As in, how do you sit next to a wife who has just lost her husband? What do you say? 
how do you how do you do that? Yeah. How do you sit next to a husband and father that has just lost their child? What do you say? Is that something you can teach? I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Is that I would you say can biblically, teach? yeah. Okay. Again, going gently. Of course, of course. And yeah. There again, scripture speaks on everything. Everything. Now, yes, if you go to scripture and say, okay, where does it say, uh, thou shalt not vape? <laughs> it's like, okay, yes, the Bible right. does not say right. that. But the Bible does say your body is a temple. It does say to take care of it. To And again, to extrapolate, that's why the scripture speaks on everything. Yeah. And to be able to go through the word and sit down next to a parent who has lost their child and say, this is what the Bible says. For one, I'm sitting next to you. I'm loving on you. I'm crying with you. And for a week, I might not say a not word. Not say a word. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then I'm going to come and I'm going to be praying over you. And I'm going to be here for the questions. When you are sitting outside of a hospital because you're not allowed to go in because... Oh, man, I'm not even going to get into it. Yeah, but anyway, okay. you can't go in. Be- we're at an hour, so I we know. need to not. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the, the husband is sitting outside the the hospital and everyone's sitting around there praying and he's got questions are you able to answer those questions and to be there for him and to love on him and to say this is what scripture says this is what god says these are the promises of god and it, it is important and again it goes back to being hospitable as a pastor and an elder that's your job right that is your job. You have to be hospital and uh, hospitable. And that's not just bringing people into your home. That's meeting someone out on a bridge about to jump. Yeah. And standing there with them for the next five hours. Yeah. And just talking to them. Sharing the gospel. Sharing God's love for them. That's hospitable. So. Well, I think we're going to stop there. For, for purposes of, of my ability to go to bed at a decent hour after I edit this. And and just that's a good stopping point. Uh, we, we got, you know, a few more verses left here uh, to, to dive into. We got a lot of verses left in First Timothy 3 <laughs> to dive into. But I think this is good. I mean, I think it's, yeah. it's a good thing to, to break this apart. Yes. Because, you know, leaving this vague can, can allow for nonsense to creep in. Yes. Misunderstanding to creep in. And can allow for a lot of questions that honestly don't that, that can be answered. And, yeah. and if if you really break it apart, what does it mean? And and, and you know, I, I hope we're doing this justice and, and doing it faithfully. I, I pray that we are, and I yeah. believe that we are, because I do. Our goal, obviously, is to really just dive into what this says and, and the implications of it. Yeah. And and well, an application. Yeah. We we have to talk about application. And this is important as a as a church. We've again we've talked about it again so many times. But if you have a church that does not have men that fill these qualifications, that means you don't have elders for a while. Right. Yes, you're supposed to, but literally, Paul sent Timothy, Paul sent Titus to appoint elders. They didn't come to the the first crowd that was presented to him and be like, "Well, there's no one here. Well, I'll just have to." It's got to be you. It's got to be you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Here's the stipulations. Here are the qualifications. If no one meets it, look for someone else. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. We, we thank you for your support. We want to shout out a new patron, uh, Amy. Thank you so much for your support. That's amazing. Hey, thank you. We're going to start uh, diving into some advertising here in the next month or so, a couple next, uh, probably next couple weeks, and yeah. kind of start doing that. So we Maybe thank you for that. Maybe even some exclusive. Exclusive episodes. Yeah. I got one episode in the can right now. We'll talk about that later. 
but we're going to uh, do some kind of some fun stuff. So uh, jump on social media, like us, subscribe, give us a five-star review on Apple. We do appreciate you guys. And we will see you all next week, same time, same channel. In, In the, the meantime, meantime, stay rooted. rooted.